the world fell in love with my story. But it was a lie. The pride of East LA, the Golden Boys. Oscar De La Hoya was the most popular fighter since Muhammad Ali. I've never told anybody what really happened. At six years old, out come the gloves. Started fighting kids. Punched in the face. My father told me, be tough. You're gonna take us out of this lifestyle. It's a lot of pressure. He said he was gonna be champion of the world. What are you laughing at? This is my dream. I'm gonna show you. Before my mother passed away, she told me she wanted to go medal. I was on a mission to make history. I'm 24, making $20 million a fight. There was nobody bigger. I was hanging out with beautiful women. I felt like a star. Everything De Loya touches has turned to gold. The golden left hook, the golden story. But truth always comes out. And I knew it would come back to haunt me. Money changes everything. Nothing he said to me was the truth. My dream became a nightmare. All this anger, I have to free myself. I won 11 world titles in six different weight classes. I want to be that hero. I can see myself fighting, and I don't even know why I'm fighting. Who in the fuck am I? Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Hitman Chronicles. This is your host, the original great Rob Silver. And today, this entire podcast will be centered around the life and times of Oscar De La Hoya. I will be doing an historical overview of Oscar's career, entire career, from his pro debut until he, until he retired after his beating at the hands of Manny Pacquiao. I will review both parts of the HBO documentary, Golden Boy, that two weeks ago, I believe, well, I am recording this August 4th, Friday, August 4th. It was released on July 24th, so we're talking 11 days since the first episode premiered and part two aired on July 25th. So I will be reviewing both documentaries i mean both parts of this documentary two-part documentary golden boy the oscar de la hoya story and man powerful documentary if you haven't watched the documentary i would pause this podcast after this segment when i do the historical overview of oscar's career go check out both uh parts of the documentary, and then come back and listen to my review i mean it's Something that not only the casual and hardcore boxing fans will enjoy, and you will find out things about Oscar you did not know. I, d I know I did. 
and I'm probably the number one boxing historian on the planet, I was I was shocked to hear a couple of things on 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 on, on that documentary, and I will talk about this, talk about that on this on the review on on those segments. But go ahead and watch those, and then come back. I will do a historical overview. I'll do a uh, my review of both parts of the documentary, and I will play a couple of voice notes from two of my favorite listeners and. Rob from Philly and Kobe from Detroit. And I will uh, give you my customary play-by-play of a watch-along of a classic fight that Oscar De La Hoya was involved with. That's all to come on this special edition of the Hitman Chronicles, The Life and Times of Oscar De La Hoya. So... As you guys know, I used to write for a website, and I used to do podcasts for a website called Fight Game Media. Well, I wrote an article two and a half years ago on Oscar De La Hoya, and that is what I'll be reading right now on my historical overview of Oscar De La Hoya's career. And as I wrote, if you think Saul Canelo Alvarez is divisive in terms of popularity amongst modern-day boxing fans, He had nothing on his former mentor and promoter, Oscar De La Hoya. The self-proclaimed golden boy was immensely popular among Mexican-American and female boxing fans. When it came to traditional hardcore boxing fans, the reviews were often mixed. Despite the criticism, Oscar fought at a level of greatness and popularity that has rarely been matched. After winning the gold medal at the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona at 132 pounds, De La Hoya signed a huge deal with Bob Arum and ABC Television. It would be similar to the deal Sugar Ray Leonard signed after winning his gold medal 16 years earlier. Ironically, my father always compared Oscar to Leonard as he said they were both good-looking young men who were considered unthreatening minorities by the general public, something that was brought up in part one. Of the Oscar De La Hoya documentary. That same blueprint followed by Oscar would generate over $700 million that he earned in a 17 year fight career. Early in his career, Oscar won bogus world titles at 130 and 135 pounds as recognized by the WBO. I never considered these titles as legitimate because at the time the WBO was considered a joke of a sanctioning body. Memo. Update, they still are a joke of a sanctioning body, as are the WBA, IBF, and WBC. It wasn't until May 6, 1995, in his 18th pro fight, that I considered Oscar to have fought for and won a legitimate world title. That night, he destroyed Rafael Ruelas Ruel, in the second round to win the WBC 135-pound crown. Seven months later, I took my father to see Oscar fight Jesse James Leha at Madison Square Garden. My father and I were very impressed by Oscar's one-sided beating of the always durable Leha, who took such a ferocious beating that he quit on the stool after the second round. This would be an appetizer before what would be the first of a, pl- of a plethora of super fights Oscar would engage in. On June 7, 1996, De La Hoya faced Mexican legend and longtime reigning WBC 140-pound champion Julio Cesar Chavez 
in the single biggest fight between a Mexican-American, De La Hoya, and a Mexican national, Chavez. Promoter Bob Arum attempted to turn back the clock by not airing this monumental fight on pay-per-view. Instead, it will be broadcast throughout the United States in closed-circuit theaters. I took my girlfriend at the time and my father, once again in Madison Square Garden, to witness what Pops and I predicted would be Oscar's coronation as the biggest star in boxing. Oscar, at nearly 5'11", was three inches taller, quicker, and stronger than the flat-footed Chavez. Chavez had absolutely no chance in hell against the 23-year-old golden boy. Oscar landed his vaunted left jab at will, battering the soon-to-be 34-year-old Mexican into a bloody mess. Referee Joe Cortez had no choice but to stop the gruesome massacre late in the fourth round. For the next 12 years, Oscar would reign as the sports box office king. Oscar will move up to 147 pounds on April 12, 1997 to challenge longtime WBC welterweight champion Pernell Whitaker. At this point in time, Pernell was considered past his prime and tailor-made for Oscar to shine in victory. However, someone forgot to give Sweepy the script. Whitaker put on one of his vintage defensive performances, totally confusing the golden boy as he made Oscar miss all night. In a fight that could have gone either way, Oscar was given a far too wide unanimous decision. Oscar, like Leonard did over 15 years earlier, refused to give a tough adversary adversary an immediate rematch after a tough win. De La Hoya instead focused on the other 147-pound champions in the division, the WBA champion Ike Quarte and IBF champion Felix Trinidad. On February 13, 1999, Oscar and Quarte faced off in one of the greatest 147-pound world title fights of all time. Quarte had abdicated his IBF version of the welterweight title, but for all intents and purposes, this was for the right to face Trinidad and the right to be considered the real 147-pound king. Now, ladies and gentlemen, before I continue reading this article I wrote, in 1999, there was basically a... A unofficial tournament held by HBO to crown the undisputed welterweight champion of the world. In February of 99, Oscar beat Iquate. In March of 99, Trinidad beat Pernell Whitaker. The winners of those fight, fight, those two fights then went on to face each other in September of 1999, as I will continue. The fight was up for grabs going into the 12th and final round. Oscar scored a late round knockdown to eke out a split decision, setting up what many expected to be the greatest welterweight unification fight since the September 16, 1981 fight between Leonard and Hearns. The matchup between WBC 147-pound champion De La Hoya and IBF 147-pound champion Trinidad took place on, oh, by the way, I aired it wasn't the IBF title that Quarte had. I, I'm, I, I fucked this up. It was the WBA title Quarte had abdicated before facing um, De La Hoya. Quarte had won the WBA version of the welterweight title in 1994. De La Hoya had won in April of 97 the WBC version from Pernell Whitaker. And Felix Trinidad had won the IBF version of the welterweight title in 1993 from Maurice Blocker. So you had in 1999, 
four great welterweights, all, uh, Corte, Whitaker, De La Hoya, and Trinidad, that you could compare to 19, between 79 and 81 when you had Duran, Cuevas, Benitez, Hearns, and Leonard. It was a royal time for welterweights. Not unlike not not like today. Today you got Crawford. You had Errol Spence before Crawford put him into submission, and now you have Boots Ennis. Everybody else, uh uh-uh. uh uh uh. Okay, back to the article. The matchup between um, De La Hoya and Trinidad took place on September 18, nineteen ninety nine. Almost 18 years to the day of the iconic Leonard Hearns fight. My father and I salivated at seeing what we thought would be a surefire classic. Unfortunately, we were wrong. De La Hoya wisely used his superior boxing ability to dominate the first eight rounds by completely neutralizing Trinidad's one-punch power in both hands. Then, after Trinidad stunned De La Hoya in the ninth round with a thudding right cross, Oscar decided to play prevent defense the rest of the fight. Erroneously thinking that he had banked enough rounds, De La Hoya ran away the last three rounds and gave away what should have been a clear-cut decision. Although both Pop and I thought De La Hoya had done enough to win a decision, the three judges scoring that fight didn't see it the same way. Trinidad shockingly won a majority decision, not only resulting in Oscar's first career loss, but it would also be the first time he didn't get the benefit of a close decision. It would also be the turning point in Oscar's career. Six months later, Oscar was handed back the WBC title after Trinidad vacated the title. It would be a short-lived title reign. On June 17, 2000, Oscar defended his WBC title against childhood friend Sugar Shane Mosley. In one of the best 147-pound title fights of my lifetime, Mosley came on strong late in the fight to defeat Oscar via split decision. After a short absence from the sport, Oscar moved up to 154 and defeated WBC champion Javier Cotton. Casallejo to once again become a world champion. Oscar's next fight will once again be for a unified world title, this time against the WBA 154-pound champion and longtime rival Fernando Vargas. In what I consider De La Hoya's most satisfying victory, De La Hoya knocked out Vargas on September 14, 2002 in the 11th round to, unibi- to unify both the WBC and WBA Super Welterweight titles. Immediately, De La Hoya sought out redemption for his prior loss to Mosley. That rematch, took, that rematch took place a year later on September 13, 2003. In my opinion, it was the finest performance of De La Hoya's magnificent career as he thoroughly outboxed Mosley over the entirety of the 12 rounds. Inexplicably, all three judges scored the fight in favor of Mosley. For the second time in four years, De La Hoya lost a questionable decision in Las Vegas. De La Hoya then moved up to middleweight in an anticipation of a fight with the undisputed champion Bernard Hopkins. Before his super fight with Hopkins, Oscar faced the undefeated German boxer Felix Sturm in an attempt to win another bogus world title. Sturm was the WBO 160-pound champion. The WBO was still an an illegitimate championship, and I saw this again as Oscar attempting to falsify an already great legacy by adding another bogus crown. On the evening of June 5th, 2004, Oscar looked lethargic and old as he was completely dominated by the machine gun left jab of Sturms. Shockingly, De La Hoya won a unanimous decision despite getting his ears boxed off. 
The powers that be look to be making sure that the September 2004 super fight between Oscar and Hopkins would not be denied. The night of September 18, 2004, Oscar faced the undisputed middleweight champion of the world, Bernard Hopkins, in a surprisingly competitive fight. And this is the beginning of that bullshit four, four belt era. Ladies and gentlemen, no one, Rick, uh, no one considered Oscar's WBA title as a real title. So stop with the, oh, it's the four belt era. I'm tired of hearing that four belt era bullshit. Fuck out of here. All right. Back to regularly scheduled programming. The first eight rounds saw Oscar frustrate the much taller and stronger champion by staying outside and boxing. Then, late in round nine, Hawkins landed one of the greatest one-punch left-hook body shots in boxing history, paralyzing Oscar to the point where he was unable to beat the 10 count. Hopkins earned his biggest paycheck and added another huge name to his already legendary career. Oscar would net over $30 million in the loss to Hopkins. He had started Golden Boy Promotions, and it appeared that he was about to transition into full-time boxing promoter. 17 months later, he returned to the ring. On May 6, 2006, Oscar returned against the WBC Super Welterweight Champion Ricardo Mayorga. Mayorga was a brawler whose best defense was his chin. De La Hoya stopped Mayorga in the sixth round to once again win a world title resulting in a matchup against Floyd Mayweather in a fight that would briefly set the all-time boxing pay-per-view record. In every sport, the key to continual growth and prosperity is the ability for the torch to be passed from one great to the next. On May 5, 2007, De La Hoya's fight against Mayweather accomplished just that. In setting the pay-per-view record, De La Hoya's close loss to Mayweather set up Floyd as the perfect replacement as the new box office king of boxing. It should have been the end of Oscar's career. Oscar, like the vast majority of legends before him, fought one too many fights. De La, De La Hoya fought the much smaller and younger Manny Pacquiao on December 6, 2008. Manny had never fought above 135 pounds before that fight and was five inches shorter than Oscar. The now 35-year-old Oscar came into the ring that night an overwhelming favorite. He fought as though he aged 10 years overnight. Oscar laid on the ropes and took a ferocious one-sided beating before retiring for good on his, on his stool at the end of the eighth round. See how things come full circle? Chavez had retired on his stool after the eighth round versus De La Hoya in their second fight. In his last two losses, Oscar passed the torch to two of the biggest box office stars in boxing history, Mayweather and Pacquiao. Oscar De La Hoya finished his career with a record of 39-6 with 30 knockouts. Except for Ronald Winky Wright, he fought every great fighter from 140 to 160 pounds. He was vastly underrated in his boxing ability as his left jab was a problem, was a problem to go along with his violent left hook. The golden boy was more than just a pretty boy. He was a great fighter who more than held his own with the greats of his era. Now we're going to play a voice note. Um, from my buddy Kobe from Detroit, now living in Tennessee. And then I will come back with my part one review of part, I mean, of my review of part one of the Golden Boy documentary. Yo, yo, what up, brother Rob? Uh, the Golden Boy, Oscar De La Hoya, man. Um, I don't even know where to start. Uh, for me, I'm 32 now. 
born in 91. Um, I started getting into boxing towards the tail end of Mike Tyson in his prime. So for me, coming up and watching the sport, the name I always heard was Oscar De La Hoya. Oscar De La Hoya fighting this weekend. Oscar De La Hoya fighting two months from now. Oscar De La Hoya, De La Hoya, De La Hoya. Um, overall, I got to say, I think Oscar De La Hoya is an all-time great talent, borderline all-time great fighter, maybe never beat that all-time great pound-for-pound opponent, but when you take into consideration the guys that he fought when he didn't have to fight them, the Ike Cortez, the Pernell Whitakers, the Fernando Vargas's, the Felix Trinidad's, the Shane Mosley's twice, also possibly juiced up Shane Mosley, the Bernard Hopkins, when Bernard Hopkins was the best fighter in the world, the Floyd Mayweather's, when Floyd Mayweather was the best fighter in the world. The thing about Oscar De La Hoya is that he was looking for the smoke. If he couldn't beat the best guys on his best night, he took his loss recouped and then went looking for the next best guy to try to get his win back. I think he beat Felix Trinidad in that first fight. I think that was a fucking robbery. I think he beat Shane Mosley in the second fight. I also think that fight was a fucking robbery. Overall, you know, I can't say nothing bad about Oscar De La Hoya. For a guy that carried the sport on pay-per-view throughout the 90s, he was never going to be better than Roy Jones Jr., he was never going to be better than a Floyd Mayweather, but he made the effort to give the fans the best fights that they could get with the best competition that was available. My brother hated Oscar De La Hoya and still can't give that man credit for the fights that he took over the course of his career. But you think about the pay-per-view business, you think about the tickets they got sold, Think about the profile that he brought to the sport of boxing, and you got to give it up to him. The Golden Boy made the game better than what it was before he stepped into it and also paved the way for fighters to be able to be their own promoters to the point where you see a Floyd Mayweather able to make X amount of hundred millions of dollars. You get to see a Manny Pacquiao being a superstar. You get to see guys like Tank Davis promoting their own fights now. The contribution De La Hoya made to the game is an all-time great contribution to go with the all-time great talent. Much respect to the Golden Boy. Peace out, Rob. I want to thank my um, buddy Kobe from Tennessee, born and raised in Detroit, living in Tennessee, with that uh, very thorough and wonderful voice note on Os the greatness of Oscar De La Hoya. And the impact that he's had on boxing. Now, I will begin the review of part one of the Golden Boy two-part documentary series currently airing on HBO, HBO On Demand if you have regular cable, and Max if you just have the HBO Max streaming service. It's just called Max now. They changed the name from HBO Max about a month ago to Max. Part one, and um, man, this this really shows Oscar in a true, honest light, 
in a way that you don't see the arrogance that Oscar has portrayed throughout the majority of his adult life uh, lifetime. And we see some lies that are exposed. The biggest lie is the lie that really cemented him as an American star, as an American idol. And that was that his mother had told him right before she passed that her last dying wish was for him to win the gold medal at the 1992 Barcelona, Spain Summer Olympics. And the documentary shows that Oscar and his mother really weren't close. She was an abusive parent, which for the first time in my lifetime, I did not know. This, I did not know. I knew of the tension between him and his father, Joel. Oscar always talked about how Joel was a perfectionist, how nothing Oscar could do could impress Joel. That Oscar, Oscar would always say, Throughout his career that he fought to impress his father. He fought for the love of his father. While that could still be true because Joel Sr. was interviewed throughout this entire two-part documentary series. And you see a man that in Joel Sr. You see a man, a father that you could tell by the way he spoke. By the way, Oscar and Joel Sr. spoke, Joel Jr. spoke about their father and their youngest, their, their youngest sibling, their sister, that Joel was a stern father and that he was a disciplinarian and that it was Joel Jr. that first was supposed to be the quote-unquote star of the family as a boxer, but he was... Your typical Mexican brawler. He wasn't as good as Oscar turned out to be. But all throughout Oscar's pro career, you saw the tension between him and his father. But you didn't know that the mother was the one that was physically abusive. Now, Joel Sr. was definitely mentally abusing Oscar, not only throughout Oscar's childhood, but up until Oscar ended his pro career. Whatever Oscar did was never good enough in Joel Sr.'s eyes. But the big reveal of the first part of this documentary, of this two-part series documentary, was the fact that Oscar was abused as a child by his mother and that she did not lay hands on his oldest brother, Joel, or the youngest child, his sister. It was the middle child, Oscar, that for some reason kept getting hit by his mom. The documentary takes you from Oscar's childhood, basically when he was six years old, when he started boxing, up until his victory over Julio Cesar Chavez, his second victory over Julio Cesar Chavez in September of 1998. He, he talks about how he had difficulty with uh, his 
father and his uncles because they would go around and they would have the kids fight each other and Oscar didn't want to get hit and Joel Sr. said, oh, I'm going to make him a great fighter. Watch in six months when he comes back, he's going to prove to you all that he's the best of the bunch. He's trained by Robert Alcazar, who wasn't really a trainer. Robert Alcazar, Alcazar was a co-worker of Joel Sr. And if you look at the career of Robert Alcazar as a trainer, the only great fighter you ever trained was Oscar De La Hoya. They showed the Olympic run, and they showed how this 19-year-old budding superstar had everything Madison Avenue was looking for. You're going to hear a voice note later on by my buddy from Philly, Rob. And he talks about how Oscar De La Hoya might be the last huge boxing global superstar. Why? In my 47 years of watching boxing, I started watching boxing in 1977. The two biggest sex symbols I ever saw, the two biggest boxing stars I ever saw that the women came to the fight in droves for were Sugar Ray Leonard and Oscar De La Hoya. Oscar De La Hoya followed the same blueprint that Sugar Ray Leonard did after winning a gold medal. Like Sugar Ray Leonard, Oscar De La Hoya won a gold medal. And then his father, Joel, got him Robert Alcazar as his trainer. Again, kept him after the amateur days are over. Hired two clowns to manage him. And Bob Arum as his promoter. Now, Bob Arum at that point in time was probably the perfect guy to promote. No, not probably. Was the perfect guy to promote Oscar De La Hoya. Because of Bob Arum's connections with the networks. HBO, ABC, ESPN. Um, Bob Arum being alongside Don King. 1A and 1B as the the go-to promoters in the sport of boxing at that time, you don't want to put Oscar with Don King. And I don't think Joel De La Hoya would ever went for that anyway. So the best case scenario was Bob Arum. Now, he could have went main events with the Duvas, but I think Bob Arum was the perfect guy to promote Oscar until Oscar was ready to go out on his own and become... The first major boxer to start his own boxing promotions. Golden Boy Promotions. And we'll talk more about that when we look at part two. Because part two will talk about the formation of Golden Boy Promotions of the documentary. This segment will be on part one. So uh, they showed throughout his early career all the easy guys he beats. He beats one and another. Um... He beats Johnny Burdell for a bogus WBO title. I talked about that in my historical overview that, that you heard early in the podcast. He beats a tough John Molina. And this was a great test for Oscar. Because John Molina was a longtime junior lightweight champion who fought everybody at 130 pounds and gave everybody hell. Everybody hell. Tony the Tiger Lopez, they had a classic three-fight series. John John was a beautiful boxer, but in this fight, he knew he couldn't outbox Oscar. So he fought a rough and ready fight with Oscar, and it was a great, 
great test for Oscar that he passed with flying colors. He beat Molina with a twelve with, with in a tough twelve round decision. Oscar talked about but before I get to the Chavez fights, Oscar talked about what motivated him when he was fighting because of the abuse that his mother laid on him throughout his childhood that he would pretend that the fighter he was fighting in the ring was his mother. Now, I've heard men say that about their fathers. Um, Roy Jones Jr. had a very volatile relationship with his father, who was a boxer, Roy Jones Sr. Roy Jones Sr.'s biggest fight as a pro fighter was losing to Marvelous Marvin Hagler. Roy Jones Sr., like a Joel De La Hoya, was a tough disciplinarian who wanted perfection out of his son. Roy Jones Sr. was Roy Jones Jr. original trainer. But eventually, what caused a rift between them two was Roy Jones Sr. Uh, killed Roy Jones Pitbull. And that was the last straw for Roy Jones Jr., who then... Had Alton Ferguson become his main trainer. And James Tony, Whose father was in jail for several years. Whose father tried to kill James Tony's mother. James Tony uh, always said that if he ever saw his father again. He would commit, what was it called? Patricide, the killing of a father. The killing of a parent. Paternal, so I guess, yeah, patricide. Matricide would be the mother. What really developed Oscar, and look, the first time I saw Oscar De La Hoya was in the 1992 Olympics with my father during the Barcelona Games. My father said, you know, this young man has a lot of talent. He's got to be a better defensive fighter. I don't like the way he sticks his head up in the air. That's what my father said when um, we saw him win the gold medal at the 92 uh, Summer Games. He brought in a legendary trainer. And I believe this was his father's uh, idea. Um, one thing about Joel Sr., when it, when it came to uh, running his uh, son's life, he uh, more times than not might made the right decision. Sometimes he made the wrong decision, especially... Especially when it came to Jesus Rivera getting rid of him. But Jesus Rivera, the professor, was the guy who really turned Oscar De La Hoya's career around. I mean, Oscar was winning, hadn't lost yet, and he was knocking everybody out. But he had a, it was after the, the John John Molina fight that um, Jesus Rivera was brought in. To assist Robert Alcazar, but the truth is, Robert Alcazar is not on the same level as Jesus Rivero when it comes to training. Jesus Rivero has had a tremendous career as a trainer. And he helped with De La Hoya Oscar's footwork. He helped, as mentioned in the documentary, teach Oscar how to faint at that point in time Oscar wasn't fainting much He began to faint more And you saw the ultimate The ultimate 
job that Rivera did with Oscar in the Julio Cesar Chavez first fight. June 7th, 1996. I talked about that in historical overview. And that's the fight you, we're going to hear after this segment. The next segment will be on the recreation of the play-by-play that I will do. I'll give you the link in, on the YouTube page where to go and where to start the fight at as we take a look at the Oscar De La Hoya versus Julio Cesar Chavez first fight, June 7th, 1996, from the MG- MGM Grand Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. That fight, as you'll hear me broadcast, was the first time that um, my father, as my father and I went to see this fight with my, and I mentioned that in the um, in the historical overview, overview I did at the beginning of the podcast. I took my girlfriend at the time, um, Salima, and my father to Madison Square Garden to see this fight. And that fight, my father was thoroughly impressed with the lawyer's movement. The way he was pumping that jab. Um, combinations he was throwing. That was a result of the tutelage that Jesus Rivero had put him under. Uh, then they talked about, they showed clips of his fight against uh, Pernell Whitaker. Which was a very tough fight. Very tough fight. And. Rivera was fired. By the Oscar team. After that fight. Look ladies and gentlemen. Pernell Whitaker is one of the three greatest defensive fighters. That ever fought. I've got him number two after Floyd Mayweather. That day. Oscar was. Put under the learning tree by a master in Pernell Whitaker. Now that fight could have gone either way. I had the fight dead even six rounds apiece. Pernell scored a knockdown. Then they took a point away from Pernell. So I had it dead even on my scorecard. 113-113. When it was all said and done. There were several rounds that could have gone either way. It was a very tough fight to score. Very tough fight to score. People claim Pernell was robbed. I don't. Look. That fight could have gone either way. And when you hear Oscar talk about the fight in the documentary, you hear it in his voice that it was a tough fight. It was a very close fight. Didn't matter who was training Oscar De La Hoya at the time. Now look, Robert Alcazar was still the official head trainer, but it was Jesus Rivera whose imprint was on Oscar's fighting style. After that fight, Oscar was gotten rid of. I mean, Rivera was terminated. No longer in the camp. Um, Oscar beat up Hector Camacho over 12 rounds in September of 97. And then they showed the rematch with him and Julio Cesar Chavez. And Oscar talked about how he wanted to prove to everybody that he was a real good fighter. He was a tough fighter because... Chavez, like Chavez did a lot. Chavez, Chavez was a real piece of shit in the 1990s. He was humble after he got lucky with that knockout win over Meldrick Taylor with two seconds left in the fight. But whenever he had a bad performance, he made all the excuses in the world. After Pernell Whitaker gave him a 12-round boxing lesson, Chavez claimed that he thought he won the fight. 
and then said, oh, all Whitaker did was run all night. I won that fight. I won the fight. Whitaker was only running. Whitaker gave you a boxing lesson. Frankie Randall beat Oscar De La Hoya the first, the first time they fought. And Chavez bitched in my own talk about the referee Richard Steele stole the fight from him. You got your ass kicked. And in the second fight with Frankie Randall, he quit. They took a point away from Frankie Randall because back then the WBC had a bogus rule that when an accidental headbutt occurred, the guy who didn't get cut got a point deducted. Chavez quit, won the fight by split decision, controversial, and he didn't fight Frankie Randall again until Frankie Randall was blind and broke. After Chavez was bludgeoned, and you're going to hear the play-by-play soon, the referee stopped the fight on cuts. Chavez made a million excuses, said uh, De La Hoya didn't hit hard enough, that if it wasn't for the blood, he would have won. That's some bullshit. And then Joel Sr., Talks about, oh, if they would have been the same age, Chavez would have beaten my son. Joel Sr., with all due respect, get the fuck out of here. Like Jesus Rivero said when he was training Oscar, they interviewed him, and I don't know how old the, 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 the God is. He's an old man, but he's very lucid, and his memory is intact. He said that, Chavez is, was tailor-made for Oscar Because Chavez is a brawler Oscar's a boxer Oscar lit him up the first fight So the rematch, September of 1998 Oscar said, I'm not boxing I'm going to take it to Chavez Because uh, uh, Oscar, like he mentioned throughout the documentary Part 1 Whenever He was angry That would motivate him To try and hurt his opponent and he hurt Chavez the entire eight rounds. He battered Chavez from pillar to post. He gave Chavez a beating to the point where after the eighth round ended, Chavez quit in his corner. Like a bitch. Uh, I felt real bad for Oscar's younger sibling, his sister. She mentioned that her and Oscar were very close up until he moved to Beverly Hills, Bel Air in the mid-90s, and their relationship became strange. She even mentioned that she went to visit him because he said, come out to, the, to, my, to my mansion. And for that entire weekend, he wasn't there. And when she left to go back home, he wasn't even there to say goodbye. I think she mentioned that she wrote a letter also. Um, she's one of the stars of this documentary. And the main star of this documentary is Oscar. The honesty that he spoke with and that he said that that entire build-up to the Olympics and since the Olympics of his mother being the motivating factor because she said Go win me a medal was a huge lie, and they built on that lie. But she was a motivating factor, ladies and gentlemen. It was his, it was her abuse that led him to pretend that his opponent was his mother. 
and to a and to a, a, a lesser extent, probably his father too, because his father was very hard on him. And I don't know what the dynamic was between Joel and Oscar when it came to physical abuse. I know there was mental abuse there. I've seen it because look, my father used to mentally abuse me. I've seen it. All right. When my father was drunk or high and I was a young boy, he would say stupid shit to me that that a father shouldn't say to his son. It was never physical between my, my my father and I, but it could it was mental whenever he was drunk or high. Joel, there was no excuse. He was he wasn't drunk. He was uh driving his son to be as best you see, Joel Sr., as mentioned in the documentary, was a failed amateur boxer. He had to stop fighting in order to provide for his family, as he had a young wife and he had young kids. Joel Jr. first started boxing, but he was a brawler. He wasn't as good as his father expected. And then Joel Jr. talked about how he used to, oh, Joel Jr., Himself used to pick on Oscar, used to smack Oscar around until one day Oscar punched him, punched Joel Jr.'s stomach. Joel Jr. went down and he never fucked with Oscar again. Joel Sr. couldn't get what he wanted out of Joel Jr., so he began pushing Oscar. And even when Oscar was considered one of the two or three best fighters in the world. Joel Sr. would sit at ringside and he wouldn't smile. He'd be dead serious. Like whatever Oscar was doing was never good enough. That's, um, that's my um, recap of part one of the Golden Boy documentary. Now we'll be going into my Play-by-play, play, we're going to recreate the watch-along with Oscar De La Hoya versus Julio Cesar Chavez, the first fight, June 7th, 1996. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let me give you the link for the fight, June 7th, 1996. Julio Cesar Chavez defending his WBC Super Lightweight Championship against the undefeated Oscar De La Hoya, at this point in time, Chavez's record was an outstanding 97 wins, one loss, one draw. To be honest with you, he should have his record should really be 95 and 4, but that that's a discussion for another day. I'm not going to get into it. We'll just go what his official record is, 97-1-1 against the undefeated Oscar De La Hoya in a passing of the torch type fight. Go to the YouTube whether you're on your smart TV or your smart devices, go to the YouTube app. Type in Julio Cesar Chavez versus Oscar De La Hoya. The Zone Boxing. It's the f it's the first fight. All right, click on that link, and I have the link in the description of this podcast. If you guys need help, that'll be a direct link to the fight. The link is in the description of this podcast. All right, click on the fight, go to the four minute and one second mark, pause it. I'm going to do a countdown, and then we're going to hit play, and I will begin. Oh, man, I forgot to do one important thing. 
Oh man, I forgot to mute my device. I want you guys to mute your devices. Let me mute my TV because you'll hear this shit loud. <laughs> All right. My TV is muted. Mute your devices. Mute your TVs. Let me put this all the way on mute. Okay. All right. Now, you're at the four-minute, one-second mark. You've muted your devices. I'm going to give a countdown, and then we will begin my play-by-play of this watch-along. Five, four, three, two, one. Hit play. All right, referee Joe Cortez giving them instructions. They touch gloves, and we're getting ready for round one, June 7th, 1996, Caesars Palace, and here comes a damn commercial. Please pause your TV, and I hit the play button again. All right, the bell's about to ring. They're showing De La Hoya, and they're showing Chavez. Here we go, round one, WBC Super Lightweight Championship of the World. And we begin round one. Delahoy on his feet. Chavez in his classic style of trying to get inside. Chavez, one of the greatest pressure fighters in boxing history, with one of the greatest chins in boxing history. Chavez misses with a jab. Delahoy's jab hits Chavez's gloves, and he misses with that jab. And he misses with a left hook. Jab to the stomach by Delahoy. Delahoy first punch landed in the fight. Delahoya standing flat-footed, focused on Chavez, focused on Chavez. Nice jab by Delahoya. The key to this fight, like my father and I said before this fight happened, was Delahoya's height and the differential in his jab. His jab is a thousand times better than Chavez. Chavez is going to have to get past that jab. Chavez actually landed a jab there, then Delahoya shoots out two jabs. Nothing of importance. Another jab by De La Hoya. He missed with a, with, a, with a follow-up jab. Key to this fight is De La Hoya's jab. De La Hoya has to keep Chavez at a distance, keep Chavez from getting inside and banging to De La Hoya's body. Nice left jab, right cross combination. And, De- and Chavez is cut already. Chavez is cut above his left eye. Nasty cut. That occurred after a nice left jab, right cross combination by Oscar. And one thing about De La Hoya is now walking him down. Nice combination by De La Hoya. Chavez misses with a left hook, misses with a left jab. Stiff jab by Chavez, uh, by De La Hoya. Chavez misses with a wild white. That, that left eye of Chavez looks nasty. And Chavez is horrible fighting backwards. Referee Joe Cortez... Calls halt to the action, and he's going to ask Flip Hermansky to come look at Chavez's bad eye. That eye is horrible. Right. Referee allows the fight to continue. And that was caused by that left jab, right cross combination. No headbutts yet in this fight. They haven't been inside. De La Hoya's kept Chavez at a distance. And Chavez is going to need a knockout because there's no way in the world that cut's going to hold up. De La Hoya looks more focused in this fight than I rem- um, 
than I remember ever seeing him up until this point in time of his career. Very focused. Left jab, left hook to the body, left hook to the face by De La Hoya. Chavez misses with a right hand. Chavez backs away as De La Hoya throws a three-punch combination. Good left hook to the to the midsection by De La Hoya. Round coming to a close. Only a few seconds left here in the first round. And that's the end of the round. Easily uh, De La Hoya's round 10-9. That cut is real nasty. They're going to have to work on it. And I highly doubt if they can keep that cut from closing. Because De La Hoya is pumping that jab. And Chavez is unable to get inside. Chavez has to go inside and try and hurt and knock out De La Hoya. Here we go, round two. De La Hoya looking as focused as ever. They both trade jabs there. Chavez misses with a hook, and then, then um, De La Hoya pushes Chavez's head down. Cortez tells him, stop that. Double jab by De La Hoya. De La Hoya pumping that jab. One of the most underrated jabs in the history of boxing is Oscar De La Hoya's jab. Oscar De La Hoya, later on in his career, would give Floyd Mayweather trouble with that jab of his. He gave Felix Trinidad trouble throughout the entire fight with that jab of his. Gave Bernard Hopkins trouble with that jab. Oscar De La Hoya's jab was tremendous. Left hook, right cross combination missed by De La Hoya there. Chavez is doing nothing. He's bleeding and doing nothing. He needs to come inside and try and make this a firefight because he cannot outbox De La Hoya, which it looks like he's trying to do. It's impossible. Nice right cross there by De La Hoya. Oh, three-punch combination there by De La Hoya, and, and Chavez is bleeding badly. Chavez is doing nothing but but trying to be machismo with his hands and taunting. Oh, beautiful triple jab there by De La Hoya. Left hook to the midsection by De La Hoya. It's all Oscar right now. Chavez doing absolutely nothing but posing right now. Well, Oscar is carrying a fight. Left hook, right cross combination by De La Hoya. De La Hoya with a three-punch combination that missed. Chavez misses with a wild left hook. Jab to the stomach by De La Hoya. Chavez misses with a jab. De La Hoya looks as focused as ever in his entire career. Maybe this and the Fernando Vargas fight were the most focused I ever saw him. Chavez is backing up, and those who know boxing know Chavez's career. Know that Chavez cannot fight going backwards. He's a pressure fighter, and going backwards is doing his opponent a favor. And right now is Oscar carrying the action. I know Chavez is favoring that cut, but moving is not going to help. Going backwards is not going to help. There's been a lull in the action because Chavez decided to move. De La Hoya with a double jab there. Another stiff jab by De La Hoya. Chavez is unable to hit De La Hoya. Good shot to the midsection by De La Hoya. Back to the jab. Chavez landed a double jab there for the first time in the fight. Nice double jab. One jab to, jab to the head, one to the stomach by De La Hoya. 
And the end of round two, another easy round for De La Hoya. He's controlling the action with that jab. And they do another commercial here on the thing. So I'm going to hit it, pause it. Just have it set to the beginning. Of, uh, well, the end of the round, Chop's going back to his corner. And he's bleeding like a faucet right now. They're unable to stop this cut. They're showing highlights of round two. De La Hoya with that beautiful jab right there, right there. Another jab. When Chavez is on the back foot, he cannot win. His game plan now has to be go all out, try to engage De La Hoya in a slugfest. Because this trying to outbox De La Hoya, moving backwards on the outside, favoring that eye, is just going to have him take a plethora of jabs and hooks. Here we go. Round three. Round two was De La Hoya's. I got 2018 De La Hoya after two rounds. The, the footwork uh, exhibited by De La Hoya today has been beautiful. Chavez with his customary moving from side to side, trying to get inside, but not going to the body. Chavez, a, a all-time great body puncher, is not hasn't landed a single body shot in this fight. Good right cross by De La Hoya. Now Chavez boxing, moving. That, that, get out of here! Are you kidding me? This ain't gonna work against De La Hoya. This was right before Chavez's thirty-fourth birthday. De La Hoya was twenty-three coming into this fight. Chavez moving, moving, and doing absolutely nothing but moving. And De La Hoya back to the jab, back to the jab. And then they just butted heads there. De La Hoya moving as Chavez has decided now to finally try and go inside, but he's unable to get inside. It's that long reach and height and, jab, and the jab that's keeping Chavez from fighting his customary fight. De La Hoya continues to pump that jab. Now Chavez back into back to moving backwards with and, and, and dancing, moving on his feet, which he can't do. He cannot beat anybody like this. De La Hoya has Chavez fighting the, the, the total opposite of what he usually does. Double jab there by Chavez by De La Hoya. Chavez comes back with his own jab. Ooh, another left to the midsection by Oscar De La Hoya. It's like the third beautiful shot he's landed to the midsection of Chavez. Chavez looks angry as De La Hoya pushed him. Cortez tells both men to touch gloves. Here we go. Back to action. Nice left hook inside by De La Hoya. Nice four-punch combination there by De La Hoya. Everything coming off that beautiful left jab by De La Hoya. Jab to the stomach by De La Hoya. And Chavez misses with a right cross. Chavez's biggest punch was his right cross. 36 seconds left in the round as Chavez looks to try to get inside, but he's been unable to solve the puzzle that is Oscar De La Hoya so far. He's eaten a bunch of jabs and bleeding profusely from his left eye. Oscar fighting a very intelligent fight. Not charging Oscar, not charging uh, um, Julio. 
Boxing brilliantly, everything behind that jab, whatever comes to him will come to him. He'll have plenty of counter opportunities. That was Chavez's best flurry of the fight right there at the end of the round. Another round in the bank for De La Hoya. 10-9, 30-27 De La Hoya after three rounds. Here we getting ready for round four. 12 rounds for Julio Cesar Chavez's WBC Super Lightweight Championship. Chavez, Chavez with a left hook there, right cross by Chavez. Chavez with the best, with the the end of the last round and beginning of this round with the best action that he's given so far in this fight. Chavez with a left hook after a right to the body. Chavez with a combination. Chavez picking it up here, probably out of desperation, but this is the best action he's provided throughout the entire fight. The end of the third round and the beginning of the fourth. Now Chavez inexplicably backs up. He was doing well when he was when he was coming after uh, Oscar. Oscar back to pumping the jab. Oscar misses with a left to the body. Oscar with a triple jab there. Oscar with another jab. Oscar back to controlling the action with the jab after the brief. Flurry by Chavez early in the round. Oscar with a jab to the stomach again. Another jab. Oscar staying focused, staying disciplined, as was taught to him throughout camp by his legendary co-trainer, Jesus Rivero. Oscar with a right cross, and now Chavez keeps pawing at his cut. He's pawing at that cut. The cut is real bad. Oscar looking super-duper focused. And Chavez, that, that that cut is really bothering him now because he keeps poking at it. He keeps pawing at his left eye. Nice left to the stomach there by Oscar with a beautiful three-punch combination right there. Right cross by Oscar. Jab right, oh, beautiful four, five, six, seven punch combination by Oscar De La Hoya. Left another four, five punch combination by De La Hoya. De La Hoya with a right cross. De La Hoya doing what he wants to do now as Julio can barely see out that eye. Beautiful, beautiful left to the body, double woohoo. Chavez is, while he's not hurt, He's very uncomfortable because he cannot see it. And now referee Joe Cortez calls halt to the action. He's going to bring Chavez to the doctor, Flip Homansky. That cut is bad. Let's see what happens here, ladies and gentlemen. It's over! It is over! Cortez stops the fight on the advice of Flip Homansky. The new WBC super lightweight champion of the world is Oscar De La Hoya. He was just brilliant throughout this entire fight. And he, as the replay is showing, was landing combination after combination. That was a seven-punch flurry right there. Chavez could not see. He would have been batting practice had they not stopped that fight. Ladies and gentlemen,
This was a brilliant performance by Oscar, and this was a passing of the torch from the great smaller fighter of his era passing the torch to the next big global superstar. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to hear a voice note from my buddy Rob Hill, and then we will come back with my review of part two of the Golden Boy documentary. Years old from Philly. What's going on, OG? Um, thanks for having me back again. Uh, breaking down the um, documentary, The Golden Boy, um, on a great champion, Oscar De La Hoya, featured on HBO. Um, definitely gave us a peek, you know, behind the curtains, man, of, of the great champ, man. You know, some things that was going on in his life and his career that um, maybe some of us wasn't wasn't aware of. I certainly wasn't. Um, damn sure didn't know that the whole story about his mom was fabricated. You know, I thought that was the inspiration for him, you know, um, winning the Olympic gold and, you know, turning professional, using that as motivation to become champion, you know, finding out that that was a lie, you know, that was shocking, man. Um, you know, I knew his, his dad was, was really hard on him, you know, throughout the course of his career and, um, you know, very difficult to deal with, you know, that I heard, you know, but his mom never heard that, man, you, you know, for Oscar to keep that under wraps, for almost 30 something years, man, finally released that, man. You, you know, um, I'm sure that's like a like a big weight off his shoulders, man. Um, you know, seeing how his relationship with his kids were, you know, um, how his, um, his it's, it's just his relationship with women, his wives, man. You, you know, Oscar definitely, you know, his life definitely wasn't golden, man. You, you know, um, I wish Oscar peace. You know, um, you know, and, and hopefully that, you know, getting these things off his chest can give him some perspective, you, you know, um, moving forward, man. Um, you know, the drag situation, you know, I, I, I think I kind of believe Oscar on that one. You know, he just got coked out of his mind, you know, and, and, you know, listen, I've been around that drug, never did it myself, but been around it, man. It, it has you doing some freaky stuff, man. You, you know, so, um, you know, I never heard any stories of Oscar, you know, being gay or dressing in drag to attract men. So I kind of, I kind of, you know, with that, that story right there, I kind of agree with Oscar, you know, what went down probably, um, you know, looking at his career, man, you know, great champion, man, um, fought everybody, he, you know, didn't duck anybody. Um, you know, I guess a couple people say duck Winky Wright and, and Vernon Farr's. But the money probably wasn't right, man. You, you know, you don't go from 147 to fight somebody like Bernard Hopkins at 160 and scared of a Winky Wright and a Vernon Forrest, man. So, you know, I believe the money probably wasn't right or the situation wasn't right. You know, that's probably why those two fights didn't occur. Um, you know, Oscar had a, you know, legendary career, man. You know, he gave boxing one of the greatest gifts, you know, by being a promoter and, you know, showing fighters how to take control of their own careers, man. That's probably one of the greatest gifts a boxer ever gave to the sport. You, you, you know, he, he set the blueprint for Floyd and many others to follow. You, you know, um, true superstar in boxing, man. Um, you know, took the mantle from Mike Tyson, held the sport down. So Mayweather took it. You, you know, all these all these great champions and fighters now, Tank Davis and Devin Hanley and Shakur Stevens, Stevenson and... Um, 
Terrence Crawford, they all want to reach the level that Oscar De La Hoya reached, man. You, you, you know, um, like Bernard said in that documentary, there's champions and there's superstars. And Oscar De La Hoya definitely was a superstar, man. Um, one of my great, one of my great fights for him was when he um, when he beat up Chavez, man. You know that was that re that was reminiscent of me when Tyson beat Trevor Burbick and Muhammad Ali went over and whispered to him, man, getting for me. You know that's how I felt when uh, Oscar was fighting Chavez, man, like getting for Meldrick, man. You know, um, and I didn't give a damn. You know that Chavez was was washed up and over the hill. I still I still appreciated Oscar giving him them ass whippings, man. Um, I felt bad for Oscar in that documentary though when he did fight Chavez, though, man, that. You know the Mexican community um, wasn't behind him, and you know it was saying that he wasn't Mexican enough. You, you, you know, um, his parents both Mexican, man. Lived in East Los Angeles, man. You know, I understand you're going up against you know uh, Cesar Chavez, man, Julio. You, you know, uh, most popular Mexican fighter of that time. You, you know, I understand it, but to say somebody isn't Mexican enough, you, you know that 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 was you know reminiscent of of you know how people of color you know always use that man and um that's something we got to get away from you, you know you can dislike a person you know just on the fact that you don't like them you know but they but not but to say that they're not black enough or mexican enough man it's something we really got to work on man um overall i think hbo did a great job you, you know as always man with their documentaries man and um i just wish you know oscar nothing but peace and, and, and happiness you know moving forward in his life man Thanks for having me, OG. You know what I'm saying? Um, appreciate it, man. One. Uh, kudos to my Philly brother, Rob. Philly Rob. This is Harlem Rob talking to Philly Rob out there. What's up, Rob? Um, great words about Oscar. And despite what Oscar has done with his personal life, whatever controversies he's been involved in, both inside the ring and outside the ring, you cannot deny the global impact that he's had as a superstar, as one of the top five boxing superstars in the history of the sport. I'm not talking about top five great fighter, because we all know Delahoy is not one of the five greatest fighters of all time, but he is one of the five most marketable and recognizable names in the history of the sport. Ask any fan out there, any sports fan out there, if they knew who Oscar De La Hoya is, and they'll tell you in a quick, oh, yeah, the golden boy. Oh, yeah. When I was a kid, I used to watch him fight. I don't watch boxing now, but I used to watch when De La, De La Hoya fights were an event just like Muhammad Ali's fights, just like Sugar Ray Leonard's fights, just like Mike Tyson's fights. Just like later on, Floyd Mayweather's fights. Oscar, whenever he fought, whether it was HBO or pay-per-view, his fights were an event that most of the country gathered around the TV, gathered around pay-per-view, gathered around HBO, and watched him fight. He, he generated over $700 million dollars in career purses, just alone. So, a uh, great uh, shout out to Rob and a great voice note by Rob, and um, continued uh, with the great contributions. That's two weeks in a row he's contributed to the Hitman Chronicles. Now, 
on to part two of the Golden Boy documentary. And part two was much darker than part one. And you thought part one was dark and gloomy. Part two was even darker. It starts off with him talking about his, his upcoming fight with Felix Tito Trinidad in September of 1999. Also, he had begun dating a young woman, a young Hollywood actress named Shanna Mokler. And she got pregnant by him. And he had a child from another woman, which he was denying, but the DNA test came out. And so you had Devin and I believe the young boy that Shanna Mokla had with Oscar is named Jacob. So you had these two young men born about a year, 18 months apart. And you could tell that uh, she was madly in love with Oscar. She, this was probably the love of her life. And I know later on she um, married Travis Barker, rock and roll star. But uh, it was Oscar that I believe was the love of her life. <clears throat> and no, um, Jacob's not his her kid. It's the young girl that they had, Atiana. I don't know who Oscar's who I, who Oscar had a child with. I, he had two children that he was with, two sons, outside the uh, his living arrangements with Shanna Mokla. And later on in the in the documentary, you see Oscar trying to uh, revisit his relationship with the two boys, because he had no relationship with the two boys, and that's talked about as both sons and Shanna's daughter, Atiana, are um, interviewed throughout this um, part two of the Golden Boy documentary. So, in while they're talking, while Shanna is talking about his relationship with Oscar, her relationship with Oscar, they're showing clips of the De La Hoya Trinidad fight. Now, that fight, Oscar dominated the first eight rounds. I had Oscar winning the first eight rounds. My father had Oscar winning rounds two through eight. My father gave Trinidad the first round. First round was a feel-out round. Then in the ninth round, as I mentioned in my historical overview, Oscar gets hit with a right hand, and then he runs for the rest of the fight. Nine, ten, eleven, twelve. He gave away those rounds. If he just splits those four rounds, he wins the fight. He loses by majority decision. And you see the disappointment in his face. And it was, in my opinion, a bad decision. Uh, and I'm, I was a huge Trinidad fan. Trinidad's a black Puerto Rican just like myself. My father loved Trinidad. My father didn't think Trinidad won that fight. But Oscar lost that fight. Tito didn't win that fight by Oscar running away those last four rounds. And then it showed Oscar losing to Shane Mosley in a great fight. June 17th, 2000. And then Oscar inexplicably decided to retire from boxing and attempt a move into music. Now, he fired his manager, Mike Hernandez, 
and he terminated his agreement with Bob Arum, who was his promoter, and he hired Richard Schaefer as his business manager. And Shannon Mokla, Bob Arum, they all, you know, criticized the move. But you know what? With Bob Arum, that's him just holding a grudge. That's him losing his number one meal ticket. Oscar set a precedent, which they didn't really focus in 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 a documentary. This part, too, they really looked at the dark side, but Bob Arum lambasted the, the move. That's because he was thinking with his pocketbook. He wasn't thinking about what was in Oscar's best interest. Oscar's best interest was served by Richard Schaefer for the time he was the CEO of Golden Boy Promotions. At the time when he was Oscar's business manager. He made Oscar much more money than Bob Arum would have ever made. Richard Schaefer also, as they stated in the documentary, wanted Oscar to be more likable by his Latino fans, by his Mexican-American fans. And so they hooked him up with a singer from Puerto Rico, um, Millie. And Millie and Oscar got married soon after they first started dating. And he was still dating Shanna Mokler at the time. And Shanna, man, talk about being hurt. She talked about how she found out that they... By watching the Latin Grammy Awards because Oscar at that time was thinking he was going to be the next Mark Anthony, the next Luis Miguel. No, no, that wasn't happening. But, oh, this is what happened. While he was in the studio singing, the producer told him, you're not singing with passion. And then the producer showed him a picture of Millie and then he fell in love with a picture. Or so he says, so the the documentary claims, met her, and then boom, they had this relationship and a marriage that they're not divorced yet, but they've been separated for six, seven years at this point in time right now. And Oscar said in the documentary, he really didn't have anything in common with Millie, and I feel bad for Millie when she watches this and sees what Oscar said, given the fact that she gave up her music career to be a... a, uh, Housewife So Shanna talked about how she saw for the first time On the Latin Grammy Awards Him walking Holding hands with Millie And he's still with her And then She claimed that he told her That he was going to buy her a new house And they were going to get together And then one day all of a sudden He picks her up in her car And he tells her it's over And she bawls out and crying Then he walks around Walked around to the other front and said, you'll be okay. Something to that effect. And you can see Shanna to this day still is hurt deeply by the way Oscar hurt her. And then they go into sordid details about Oscar's two sexual assault charges. One in 97, one in 1999. The 1997 sexual assault never went to criminal trial. It was settled out of court. Financially And the incident that occurred on December 27, 1999 No charges were ever filed And then there have been other sexual assaults Sexual assault claims by women against Oscar De La Hoya Now look I don't know what happened with these women And Oscar was very Very forthcoming in in, in the um, documentary 
claim he did nothing wrong, that, yeah, maybe booze was involved, because Oscar at this point in time had began drinking, but that he never sexually assaulted anybody. And so I don't know. It's Oscar's word against the women. One case was settled out of the court. The other ones, I don't know. They didn't go into further detail. But, you know, when there's smoke, there's fire. So something's up. And Oscar admitted that he was kinky because there was a Russian woman named Alana. And I remember when this happened. Pictures came out of Oscar wearing lingerie, fishnet stockings. And Oscar hired a guy to make it seem as though the photos were photoshopped. And so that's what the story was for years. Until I believe about a decade ago when Oscar did an interview on a Spanish language television uh, 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 network in which he told the reporter, the interviewer, that those pictures were real and that, yes, he was involved. And Milana, who was also interviewed for this documentary, admitted that, yes, she had those pictures taken. Oscar admitted that it was a threesome, that he was real freaky with Milana. And Milana said that Oscar felt comfortable with her. And there'd be several times where he wore women's clothing. And she claimed that he told her that his mother wanted a little girl and instead got Oscar and would dress him up as a little girl because he wanted a little girl. Now, Oscar didn't, Oscar didn't address this in the documentary. But man, his mother was not the saint that the media and the De La Hoya family portrayed her to be. Not only was she physical abuse, physically abusive towards Oscar, but dressing him up as a girl, allegedly, that's another form of abuse, psychological abuse. By the way, it wasn't addressed in the documentary, but Oscar, 18 months ago, came out in, in an interview and said that his aunt have physically molested him, sexually molested him, when he was 13 and the aunt was around 35 years old. It wasn't brought up in the documentary. I don't know. Maybe it couldn't be cleared legally. But I wish it would have been brought up because you want you to see why, where, where Oscar's head is, where Oscar's head has been throughout his entire career. And it all falls back to his childhood, the way his father treated him, the way his mother treated him. And it was, he also mentioned that one of his uncles introduced him to alcohol, had him drink 30 sips when he was a little boy of alcohol, and he blacked out. And when he woke up, his mother slapped the shit out of him. And then Oscar admitted that he began drinking in between fights. In between fights, he began drinking. He said he wouldn't drink while he was in training camp, but he would drink whenever he had a break in between fights. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I have mentioned on my numerous other podcasts. This is the only second podcast on this platform I've done on boxing, but I've been doing weekly boxing podcasts now for 12 years, and I've always stated this. Alcohol and drugs... Or have no business in a boxer's lifestyle. A boxer should not smoke weed. 
A boxer should not smoke cigarettes A boxer should not do cocaine A boxer should not do heroin And a boxer should not drink None of those Vices Can help a boxer succeed in boxing Aaron Pryor was one of the most Naturally gifted fighters I've ever seen His career Was curtailed Because of cocaine and crack abuse Pernell Whitaker one of the greatest defensive fighters of all time. His career was curtailed because of alcohol and cocaine abuse. The list is endless. Mike Tyson, another example, alcohol and cocaine abuse. There's a couple of fighters out today that I have seen drunk at press conferences. I saw Errol Spence drunk at a press conference a few years ago. Alcohol and boxing do not mix. The fighters that lead the clean, anti-drug, anti-alcohol lifestyle are the greatest. Roy Jones never smoked, drank, or, or did drugs. Floyd Mayweather never put any an ounce of alcohol in his body. If he was at a club, it was to meet and bang chicks. It had nothing to do with drink because he would never put the poison in his body. Your body is a castle when you're a boxer. And Oscar was playing with fire. Playing with fire. It showed Oscar's um, win over Fernando Vargas. And Fernando Vargas was mocking him. Fernando Vargas was never a pimple on Oscar's ass, uh, talent-wise. Oscar blasted him out in the 11th round. Fernando hated Oscar because they both came from the same East L.A. neighborhood. Oscar got all the pub while Fernando, while a very good fighter, was never as charismatic, as good looking, or as, or as talented as Oscar. There was a lot of jealousy in his voice and you heard it throughout Fernando's career. And Fernando was never the same after that beating Oscar gave him. Then they showed Oscar fighting Bernard Hopkins. And like I mentioned in the historical overview, he gave Bernard difficulty. Bernard mentioned it. Bernard mentioned how the fight was difficult until Bernard landed that left hook to the, to the liver and knocked out uh, De La Hoya, one of the greatest knockouts by a body punch in boxing history. Oscar... Felt a kinship with Bernard And respected Bernard so not, the, not for the fact that he beat him But the fact that Bernard spoke his mind And Oscar immediately made Bernard A partner in the fledging Golden Boy promotions He talked about Oscar's fight with Floyd Mayweather That set the Den pay-per-view buy rate record In the history of all pay-per-views Up until Floyd Mayweather versus Manny Pacquiao Oscar promoted that fight with uh, between him and Floyd, and it was a passing of the torch, similar to when Chavez lost to De La Hoya. Things come full circle. De La Hoya lost in a very close fight to Floyd Mayweather, but by losing to Floyd, made Floyd a star because, as Oscar mentioned in the documentary, Golden Boy and HBO came up with the first boxing reality TV show. 24-7 24-7 showed the lives of Oscar and Floyd Leading up to their big 
May 2007 fight. And that 24-7 showed the world just how charismatic Floyd Mayweather was and how he was easy to hate. People hated him because he was cocky, he was flashing the money, he was brilliant in his in his taunting of Oscar. 24-7 made Floyd, and then the win over Oscar, the new number one superstar in boxing. It was a passing of the torch. And then after that, Oscar promoted Floyd's next 10 fights. Everybody talks about Floyd... Being a PBC fighter Floyd was only a PBC fighter At the end of his career For the last year of his career Up until Up until that point from When he beat Oscar Until he beat Marcus Madonna 2007 to 2013-14 He was promoted by Golden Boy Promotions Now he didn't have a contract with Golden Boy him and Oscar, then they didn't talk about the relationship in this in this documentary, but it's been a heated relationship between Oscar and Floyd. But Oscar had all these great Latin fighters that he fed Floyd. Well, not all of them were great, but you know he fed him Victor Victor Diaz, and he he fed him um, Robert Guerrero and Marcos Madonna. Um, he, uh, Juan Manuel Marquez He fed him all these uh, Well Juan Manuel was a great Great uh, fighter But he fed him all these fighters And it, it, I'm getting off the topic of the documentary Because the documentary didn't mention this But Oscar was a great promoter When he was promoting Floyd Because you had the evil Floyd Going up against These Latin fighters That the Mexican American audience And they were all Mexican Except for Madonna, uh, he, he was Argentinian. That were coming at Floyd as a way of, <laughs> as a way of um, trying to uh, score a victory for the Mexican American and Latins all over the United States in their hatred of Floyd, because Floyd would mock them. He would wear a sombrero and Mexican wardrobes into the ring. But anyway, back to uh, the documentary. After losing to Floyd, and Oscar has started this promotion, Golden Boy Promotions, he had his last fight against Manny Pacquiao, fall of 2008. And that fight should have never happened. And Oscar talked about how doing training was the first time while he trained for a fight that he was drinking. He knew he was done. He was hurting while training. And it doesn't help that you're drinking and you have been in so many wars. Even though you're only 35, he's been fighting for 30 years. He, start, he put the gloves on for the first time when he was five, six years old. Manny gives him a hellacious beating and finally... Like I said in the historical overview, things come full circle. The second Chavez fight, he made him quit after eight rounds. And the fight against Pacquiao, De La Hoya quit after eight rounds. And that was the end of De La Hoya's boxing career. But he began a huge, successful promo, uh, promotion, Golden Boy promotion. And he had a huge, successful promotional career up, in this, up until this point. They didn't bring up Canelo 
uh, Oscar was Canelo's mentor, and Oscar made Canelo a huge boat of money until a few years ago when Canelo sued and got it out of his contract with Oscar. I thought they were a match made in heaven, but they departed. Um, Canelo owes a lot to Oscar because Oscar, Oscar promoted Canelo in the mold of himself. Where you got this good looking Mexican kid that the women like that captured the hearts and imaginations of both Mexicans and the Mexican Americans and Latins all over the world. They didn't they didn't go into detail. I wish they would have went into detail. So one of the, the two things that really uh was missing from this documentary, Oscar talking about his relationships with Floyd Mayweather and Canelo Alvarez, two of the biggest stars since Floyd. I mean since Oscar retired. They talked about his marriage, but they didn't go into them being separated. Just how um, how he moved to Puerto Rico, bought a mansion with his wife, Millie. They had two children. He was never happy. He always had to be on the road. And he was drinking and partying. And, of course, they talked about his substance abuse. And the documentary... Had a nice ending to it Because finally the three adult children That he had young That he never had a relationship with Atiana, Jacob and Devin They have Tried To have a relationship Within the last decade He 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 got Devin a job At Golden Boy And They've had dinners together The three of them the four of them, him with his three adult children. And so it looks like fences are are being mended between him and his adult children. They showed him being a loving father to the two children he had with his estranged wife at this point in time, Millie. Oscar's sister was very forthright, forthcoming, and she was very... You could see that she loves Oscar, even though her and Oscar have had a strained relationship for the last, uh, what, 23, 24 years, 25 years. I think not, maybe 26, 1997 was the last time they really were close as siblings. Joel Jr. has always been a part of Oscar's life, and Joel Jr. was excellent throughout this documentary. Um... You could tell he loves his brother. Joel Sr. was a huge part of the first part part one of part one. Part two, I guess because it was mainly dealing with Oscar's uh, family, his kids, his wife, and Shanna. You didn't see much from Joel Sr. in... Part two, part one, he was all over part one But probably because part two Dealt mainly He had gotten rid of his entire circle And Golden Boy Promotions No longer was Joel Sr. Part of the management Part of the brain trust That that was guiding Oscar's career And I think that was a great break Now they also didn't mention The breakup Oscar would have with Richard Schaefer In which Richard Schaefer 
allegedly helped steal a bunch of fighters and bring them to Al Heyman at the inception of PBC Premier Boxing Championship Champions that began over eight years ago. Um, something must have happened because there was a lawsuit and then there was an out-of-court settlement in which Richard Schaefer was not allowed to work for PBC for a number of years. Richard Schaefer made Oscar a lot of money. He also cost Oscar a lot of money at the end when that whole scandal came out. And I mean, Al Heyman went and formed PBC and insiders say that Richard Schaefer had a huge hand in helping him by having an exodus of Oscar De La Hoya fighters. Some of them included Leo Santa Cruz, Danny Garcia, etc. So, my thoughts on this documentary. It's an amazing two-part documentary. It's a little bit over two and a half hours when you combine both. Do- I don't know why they did part one and part two. They could have just shown it all in one two and a half hours. It gave you a huge glimpse into Oscar's life. It showed not only his greatest triumphs, but his greatest triumphs were inside the ring. He was most successful and the happiest while he was inside the ring. But outside the ring, he really had a hard time dealing with with life. And that goes all the way back to the way he was raised, the way his parents treated him. Oscar's been dealing with demons all his life. Anybody who's a drug addict or alcoholic, my father was a drug addict and alcoholic. My beloved son was an alcoholic who dabbled in cocaine. There are demons inside them that they cannot control, which causes them to seek self-medication. Oscar admits to this in a documentary. He's talking about the alcohol. The, the drinking Talking about how When things get too tough He runs And that's what he was talking about During a, the De La Hoya Trinidad uh, Footage while he was talking Is that when the going gets tough He runs Like he ran away from his responsibility Of his three oldest children You know It didn't matter that financially He was paying for everything for them Their schooling he was giving child support. Yeah. That's good. But what they needed was a father, their father in their lives. And he didn't appear in their lives until they were grown kids, grown adults. But like the documentary mentioned, and I got to give Oscar credit, he is seeking and having a relationship with the three, with his three oldest kids. Golden Boy is a much watch for all casual boxing fans, all hardcore boxing fans, and fans of life, fans of seeing people redeem themselves. Oscar's 50 years old right now, so he's still a young man. He's one of the biggest boxing promoters in the sport. Hopefully he has a long life, and hopefully he continues to... Promote at a high level 
and to bring fights that people want to see. And hopefully he leads a happy life with all five of his kids. Shanna Mokler said at the end of the documentary that Oscar eventually apologized to her for his treatment of her. And uh, Joel Jr. said something similar that Oscar has mend fences with a lot of the people that he's hurt throughout the years. Oscar De La Hoya really impressed me with his honesty in this documentary and how he admitted that it was a lie. A lot of what was going on was a lie. He His mother never said, win me a gold medal while she was dying. He wasn't the clean-cut golden boy that Bob Arum and the network executives at HBO were proclaiming he was. He had a dark side. He had a sexual dark side with the women he was dealing with, cross-dressing and whatever freaky shit he was doing that caused four to five women to charge him with sexual assault. Two kids out of wedlock, another with a woman that he left for his future wife. Whatever demons are inside Oscar De La Hoya, I'm hoping that he overcomes them and that he, he eventually becomes comfortable in his own skin. Because despite the damn near $1 billion he's generated for his career, I'm not sure he's ever really been happy. And it just goes to show you, money can't buy you happiness. No matter what people think. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this review, this historical overview, this look into the life and times of the golden boy, Oscar De La Hoya. Next week, we'll be back reviewing a bunch of fights that's going to happen Saturday, August 12th, including the return of Anthony Joshua to the ring against Dylan White. We got a great matchup. Between Emmanuel Navarrete and Oscar Valdez That has fight of the year implications Showtime has a card also So we've got a bunch of fights to talk about next week So this was the perfect week To talk about something Other than what's going on in the world of boxing Because there's no real fights this weekend You got a circus act That occurred last night That I don't even discuss Fuck Jake Paul But Kudos to HBO, kudos to Oscar De La Hoya for giving us a great insight into one of the five most recognizable stars in the history of boxing. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, I want everybody out there to continue to be blessed and be a blessing.